Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Redeemed Through His Blood. Scott Durfee here. Dave Durfee here, too. How are you, David? Hey, hope everybody's having a happy new year and you survived the <laughs> the holiday season. And we're probably back into the to the stuff. To the stuff, huh? The stuff that we do. Yeah. I, I think it's nice to have this break that we've had over the holiday season, but there's just something to be said about getting stuff back going. You yeah. Know? Get, 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 getting stuff get, get going Get back again. in the saddle, getting huh? in the, Yeah, getting back in the saddle, getting it to just kind of... Cowboy that you are. Getting getting cowboyed back up, I guess. I don't know. But uh, just getting back in a routine. I, I, I think that, uh, I don't know, some of us... Uh, don't do well when life's not structured and <laughs> a little more routine for uh, us. Yeah, I, yeah I, I love the change. You know, it's, yeah. it's good to have a break. Oh, and, for sure. And, uh, you know, read a couple books for during sure. the break. And have you done that? I'm, I'm, yeah, I I have. I've, been, I've loved it. Yeah, that's fantastic. Got some, uh, I'm loving it, a, a book that I am reading uh, called... Uh, Wilford Woodruff and the Doctrine of the Temple. Oh, very cool. Yeah. And uh, how the how the ordinances of the temple kind of uh, line upon line, precept on precept were developed. I, I've always loved Wilford Woodruff. I think he's always been w- maybe one of my my favorite prophets. When huh. I, I used to teach an institute class years and years ago yeah. called the, the Lives of the Presence of the Church. Uh, and I love teaching that class. And I really, I really loved uh, Wilford Woodruff and and Joseph F. Smith. I lo- I anyway, they they yeah. their lives and Wilford Woodruff was just miraculously saved so many times in his life. And maybe one, I, you know, I'm not a great fisherman, but he kind of invented fly fishing. Wilford Woodruff. Yeah. Did you know that? Go on. Yeah, he he coming across the plains, Wyoming. He kind of invented fly fishing. I had no idea. Yeah, <laughs> that's interesting. That's I cool. Know. That's cool. I guess right. And yeah. uh, and he was just a, a rough, tough, loving. Just I just love his story, his life, his romance with his wife Phoebe, and his mission to the Fox Islands in Maine. Which, by the way, when I was there, you were I, just there. I looked up the Fox Islands. It's a whole series of islands, and he had. A lot of family members that lived on the Fox Islands, and he went on a mission there. And I, yeah, man, I've yeah. I've always loved him. I've I've felt close to him when I was in Maine. And <laughs> anyway, I'm loving this book. He yeah, had, much of what we do in the temple today is because of the revelations received uh, by Wilford Wilford Woodruff. And in fact, the St. George Temple, you know, that they've just uh, finishing the open house and soon dedicate is uh where he he actually was the first president of the St. George Temple before he was president of the church Brigham Young set him apart as an uh, you know he was an apostle and he was also temple president St. George and uh, he had that vision of all the signers of the declaration of independence and Joan of Arc and others who appeared to him and and he did their work for them and i found out that he has he in his lifetime he would keep a record of uh, all the ordinances that he would do for his family members. Oh wow! And he hit, did all of the ordinances, baptism, confirmation, you know, washed, anointed, endowed, sealed. He did all of those ordinances for over three thousand of his ancestors. He did them individually yeah. for those. Wow. Anyway. I, I don't know if he did them individually. I, I but he saw them through. But he saw them through, but he did yeah. a good number of them. Yeah, yeah, of course. He did a good number of them. Yeah, yeah. And uh, anyway, I thought, wow, I got I to gotta pick up my uh, my game a little bit here. Yeah, yeah, me too. Me, <laughs> me too. Uh, for those of you who don't know, which is probably most of you don't know, that Dave's quite the historian. Uh, he has his master's degree, actually, I think, in American history, right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, and, got and, my master's in history. I love history. And he, uh, you know, when we, we've gone on a, just a couple of years ago, we, we did a little Nauvoo trip with friends and family, and, and Dave's done this for years. Nauvoo, Sacred decades. Grove. I mean, we yeah, we went all the way back to Sacred Grove. Yeah, we've done it all. We did, I, we the did the whole thing. Pretty much the whole thing. You know, Dave, and Dave's been doing this since uh, 
about when I was about the time I graduated from high school, I think he started doing that on a pretty regular basis. So, and I think I may have one more of those in me, Scott. So I hope you have more than one. If if uh, if any, you know, we might we may go on a mission, you know, next year. Oh, that's right. Yeah, but um, I've I've got enough people asking me to do it that I may do one more. So if if any of our listeners, friends and family want to go on a church history tour and uh, maybe email us and let us know because yeah. I may I may do one in June. Yeah, do that. In, in May fact, or June. In fact, that would be really fun to do, and uh, we could even incorporate a lot of what we do here in the podcast if we did it, David. Yeah. Anyway. Well, send those emails to us at gmail.com. Um, I love the book. I, I, I'm reading a book as well. I'll just talk about it briefly, and then we'll get into the topic today. But I'm reading Heart of the Matter by Russell M. Nelson, mm. <laughs> his yeah. newest. And, yeah. And, what a treat, uh, you know, a hundred years of wisdom, basically, yeah. you know, uh, and not just wisdom, but prophetic wisdom. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm just absolutely loving it. Deb and I have enjoyed a couple of the chapters together and, uh, man, what a, just a, a gift. I, I hope that, you know, personally I, I see president Nelson and I, and I'm beginning to see, well, I've seen for a long time, uh, as well, the other brethren is also gifts to us, you know, to, to be able to have restored what's been restored through the prophet Joseph Smith and then, uh, you know, passed on by uh, way of um, ordination and, and, and that type of thing to those powers and and and, and uh, abilities, uh, those um, ordinances. I don't know the better word to use, but but to have that available to us today, what a gift. And I'm grateful for that. Yeah, for sure, Scott. We're we're blessed. Hope all you feel blessed going into the new year, and that you have some New Year's resolutions, and that those uh, include strengthening your understanding of and relationship with uh, Jesus Christ. And uh, hopefully, this podcast will will help you do that. We're we're going to go into some depth, beginning in this podcast, into the atonement of Jesus Christ and. We've talked about last podcast about why he needed to suffer uh, to fulfill the the laws and de- the law and the demands of justice and to uh, make mercy uh, available to us. Uh, so, which fulfills the law of justice. So, we want to begin now to talk about the events of the atonement. We'll spend a couple of podcasts going into some depth on the events of the atonement. I, I've learned, Scott, that in order to really understand the events, you have to read some scripture. I once was trying to teach the atonement of Jesus, the events of the atonement of Jesus Christ, to a class, and uh, I went back to my office after doing that and just felt so disappointed. Uh, I just didn't feel like I had done justice to the events of the atonement of Jesus Christ. I felt like I had missed the mark. I had. Uh, not really help the students to understand or feel to the depth at least I wanted them to understand and feel uh, the atonement of the events surrounding the atonement that make up the atonement of Jesus Christ. And I went back to my office and I wept and I knelt down and I prayed and I had this clear impression. Well, you didn't read any scripture. I was teaching them about but I learned, Scott, you cannot just teach about the events of the atonement. You have to read it. You have to study it. You have to hear the words that prophets and witnesses use to describe it. That I, I, you and I, no mortal has, has the ability to really uh, use words to teach it it can it is best taught by reading what the prophets have said about it so just a heads up and i know we can't read all the scriptures we don't have time to do that but i hope our listeners will we'll we'll go to some of the references and read them as we describe some of these events uh, but th- you have to use scripture to really understand the events and and the bible does a pretty good job of doing that. I one reason we should be most grateful for the Bible is because it tells us what Jesus did. 
and yet it doesn't tell us in the same depth. For example, it doesn't tell us that he bled from every pore. We have to learn that in the Book of Mormon. So there's there's some verses like that that through Restoration Scripture, we have a deeper understanding and should have a greater appreciation for the atonement of Jesus Christ. But the Bible, uh, so grateful for what's been uh, preserved and and what's uh, what the Bible teaches us about the events of the atonement of Jesus Christ. I uh, Brother Matthews used to always say, the, the Bible teaches us what Jesus did, and the Book of Mormon best describes why he did it. So, so I, I believe that's true, and we'll kind of refer to all of the standard works today in teaching about some of the events of the atonement. Uh, next week, or in a couple weeks, because I think this will take probably two podcasts to talk about the events, and then in a few more weeks we'll talk about the effects of the atonement of Jesus Christ and how it overcomes the, the, the fall of not only Adam and Eve, but the fall of you and me and all of the not just in iniquities of the world, but also all of the inequities of the world. It, we'll, we'll go into some depth on that, and that's where we'll probably get more into the Book of Mormon scriptures. Why don't we just spend all the time on the effects? Why are the events important for us to understand, Dave? Well, gr- great question. Uh, because when you, when you understand the events, when you understand, I know we can't comprehend what Jesus did. But when you get a glimpse, or you, the closer you come to understanding what he did, the, the more humble you are, and you, you can't have a broken heart and contrite spirit without going to Gethsemane and getting a witness of what he did in Gethsemane, or going to the cross and, and standing there at the cross and witness him and hear his voice as he cries out, you know, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Th- these events, understanding the events, is what uh, not only increases our gratitude, but um, it, it brings about a broken heart and contrite spirit. So to increase our gratitude, which increases our desire, gratitude is the beginning of desire, Scott. Understanding the atonement, Elder Scott taught, brings about immense gratitude, which gives us the motivation to live the gospel. So it increases our gratitude, understanding the events. And then it's it's really, really humbling Yeah, to, I, to understand what our sins cost to God. There you go. I, I think it's important because, you know, when 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 we when we hear the invitation, and, and it's before us every week, those of us in the church, you know, come unto me, you know, come follow me, come unto me. And so the question is, you know, obviously that's the answer. The answer to a lot of our problems is come unto me. The answer to a lot of our problems is, uh, you know, come where I am. Come follow me. Uh, and the question is, and, and, and we ask it, and the, the prophets and apostles have answered it, but where is he when he invites us to come unto him? Well, he's there. He's in the events. He's in the events of the atonement, right? He's in, he's in the, he's in Gethsemane. He's on the cross. He's participating in the resurrection. And so when I'm invited to come there, I have a deeper love, a deeper appreciation. Uh, In fact, it's ineffable. There's just no words that can describe the cleansing that I feel or the hope that I feel or the joy that I feel or the, the happiness or, or any of that that comes to me. There's just no possible way for me to feel that if I don't, in my mind, in my heart, through Scripture, through other ways of study, go there and be with him there. I, I used to ask my students that question, Scott, you know, when Jesus uh, invites us to come unto me, Come unto me, to come unto me. It's over and over. Yeah. 20, 20 something times in the scriptures that he invites us to come unto him. I would ask my students, uh, so where is he? And I think most of their answers would be, uh, he's in the temple. Right. So that's that's what many of them would say. And I love that answer. I do too, that's, because there, he is yeah, there. Absolutely. That's, that's yeah. a great answer. And others would say other things like uh, he's on a mountain or he's, you know, he's uh, with the poor, he's with the, the needy. And all, all of the answers were great. They were all great. Uh, 
But then I, I would say, well, um, I love your answers, but when he invites us to come unto him, unto him, it's not always going to be comfortable or easy. And it's going to maybe cause you a little pain if you see him in Gethsemane. And I believe that when he invites us to come unto me, he's inviting us to feel the effects of the uh, the, the consequences of the events of the atonement of Jesus Christ. You know, I, I my mind goes to the Book of Mormon and when he appeared to the to the people at Bountiful at the Temple in Bountiful. You know, after all the destruction and and they fall down when he appears to them as a resurrected being and. Uh, they they fall down in uh, in fear and awe, and he he says no 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 come unto me, come unto me and feel the prints of the nails in my hands and thrust your hand into my side. Paraphrasing, uh, that's Scott. That would be painful. I just think that would be really. Uh, can you just even imagine thrusting your hand? into his side, feeling the prints of the nails in his hands and feet. That's what it means to understand the events of the atonement. I mean, they had an experiential, you know, moment in understanding the consequences of the events of the atonement. What their sins, what uh, their sins had cost a God and evidence of his love i mean really understanding the events of the atonement is to to understand and witness the love of god for his children i'm not just talking jesus christ i'm talking the father that the father would allow his son to go what he went through in the depths of sorrow and spiritual death and physical suffering that God would allow his son to go through that for not just the whole world, but for you and me. That's the importance of understanding the events. Right. And when you know that, and you know he loved you first, then you love him a little more. Right. Um, let me just segue for just a second here. You know, uh, in recovery, in the rooms of recovery, uh, my heart lies there. I have a great work still there um, on a pretty constant basis. But we have steps, uh, you know, steps 1 through 12. There's 12 steps. Uh, we were talking about this earlier this morning, Dave, you and I, but step 2 is so important. Step 2 is came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. Now, that's a pretty generic way of putting it. You know, we understand that to be much deeper than that. We understand that to be, uh, came to understand that through Jesus Christ, I can be made whole. I can be redeemed. I can be uh, cured, healed, fixed, um, it, whatever the case may be, right? And then step three is we make a decision to turn our will and our life over to him, uh, you know, which which is important. We, we have to make that as members of the church, members of Christianity, as members of anything. We have to make that same choice to, to, to turn our will and our life over to him. And I, and I would just hope that as we go through the next few episodes here and we talk about the events and the effects of the atonement of Jesus Christ, that we can in our own minds and in our own hearts reconcile that challenge to turn our lives and our will over to him when we get into repentance we'll understand the importance of that because all i'm really talking about is contrite spirit here we know broken heart contrite spirit but if we can begin to posture ourselves in such a way now that as we enter into these experiences of understanding the events and then later on the effects of the atonement of jesus christ we will begin to feel a peace immediately, immediately, without delay, uh, even though we may feel unworthy of it, even though we may have lived, you know, last episode we talked about how Heavenly Father, there's no qualification necessary in order for us to approach him lovingly. Uh, that was from Elder Christofferson, I believe. But, but as we do that, and as we begin to feel this in our lives and, and feel and understand the um, um, events and the effects later of the atonement of Jesus Christ, then that hope can come to us too. 
the atonement, we you know we use that term a lot, and and I want to say up front that when we use that, it should always be associated with Jesus Christ, our Savior, Redeemer. That His name or His title should be right before that or right after that. And President Nelson has has taught that strongly since he's been president of the church. Is that uh, there is no power in the atonement itself and that the atonement doesn't stand alone that the power that it that comes is through jesus christ it's through this our savior and redeemer so when we talk about the atonement of jesus christ we are really talking about four events and um, the first one is a sinless life we'll describe that in detail here in a few moments Second is Gethsemane, the Garden of Gethsemane. Third is the cross and Golgotha, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And fourth is his death and resurrection. Those are the four events. When we, when we talk about the atonement of Jesus Christ, we're talking about those four events. And if any one of those would not have occurred, I believe the atonement of Jesus Christ may have been incomplete and not finished. It's, it's, I love the words, you know, the few last words of Jesus on the cross. It is finished. And when he says that, I think he's contemplating his sinless life, Gethsemane, cross, and then he dies right after speaking those words and three days later will be resurrected and so uh, let's, let's get into those events. But before we do, I just want to talk about the central nature of the atonement of Jesus Christ in our uh, theology and in our personal lives and how we should kind of uh, couch it, how, how we should see it as being the center of everything that we do. And the prophet Joseph Smith taught this in the teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith when he said, quote from teaching the prophet Joseph Smith, page 121, the fundamental principles of our religion are the testimony of the apostles and prophets concerning Jesus Christ, that he died, was buried, and rose again the third day and ascended into heaven. And all other things which pertain to our religion are only appendages to that. Everything, uh, Scott, is, is centered around these events of the atonement of, of Jesus Christ. Anything else is only an appendage. Uh, President Boyd K. Packer said it this way, that I believe he was thinking about what the prophet Joseph Smith had taught when he, when he taught. The atonement of Jesus Christ is the very root of Christian doctrine. You may know much about the gospel as it branches out from there, but if you only know the branches and those branches do not touch that root, if they have been cut free from that truth, there will be no life nor substance nor redemption in them. <laughs> I've used that so many times uh, in my ecclesiastical and educational life as an institute teacher and ecclesiastical leader scott uh honestly i've learned that it's that is so true that if if we're doing things in the church if priesthood leaders or sister leaders in the church are doing uh, anything that does not center in on or focus on or is not touching the atonement of Jesus Christ, it will die. Yeah. If you focus on programs or even principles or or even doctrine that is is not focused on the atonement of Jesus Christ and the redemption of Christ, I promise you, it will die. There's no life in it. I've I've learned that. In life we put so much emphasis on 
doings on uh, and on other things. But if those things, you know, and if we put emphasis on those things, that's great. As long as we have the ability to tie that back to where that lies in the teachings of or the effects of the atonement of Jesus Christ. If we don't do that, then we are setting ourselves up for frustration, for confusion, for 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 um, anxiety. I, I mean, you know, just a just a lack of understanding of the atonement of Jesus Christ and understanding these other things to the nth degree, but not understanding how they tie into the atonement of Jesus Christ and where they spawn from the atonement of Jesus Christ, that can really create a problem within us. And I see it. You see it. I see it. It's among us all the time and everywhere. Right. As we get into this now, Scott, I'm hoping that all of our listeners will just be more aware, really, more more grateful have deeper understanding, deeper gratitude, but also be more mindful, more aware of when you when you talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ or when you're you're teaching your children or you're talking about uh you're trying to help someone who's who's having difficulties or who's wayward or or whatever that the focus will always go back to Jesus Christ and and his atonement. I I just think that's so critical. You know, uh, President Howard W. Hunter used to always say that, let me me find the quote here, I have it right here. Uh, President Howard W. Hunter, please remember this one thing. Okay, here's the one thing, one needful thing again. If our lives and our faith are centered upon Jesus Christ and his atonement, nothing can ever go permanently wrong. Love that. Nothing can, nothing can ever go permanently wrong. On the other hand, if our lives are not centered on the Savior, no other success can ever be permanently right. Oh, amen to that. I, I, I that's kind of when I perform a live sealing in the temple. That's kind of my thesis, I guess. Uh, I don't try to give any marital counsel. We're actually uh, counseled not to give marital counsel when we perform a live sealing. Uh, we should focus on the uh, on the temple ordinances. And for me, everything in the temple is centered in the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, uh, the sealing rooms of the temple, Saratoga Springs Temple, where, where I... Uh, where I serve, uh, I, I make the point, and, and this is true for all the ceiling rooms in that temple, the altar is, I promise, not one inch off from being the center of the room. And I believe that the altar represents the suffering atonement of Jesus Christ, the blood of the Lamb, the the, the Lamb of God. And the uh, chandelier that hangs above the altar, I promise, is not off by one inch being the center of that ceiling. And I believe that represents the light of the world. I believe that uh, everything about the temple points us to Jesus Christ and in some way represents this the Savior and his uh, atoning sacrifice and love for us. And so I, I, kind, of, I kind of talk about that, that if... if if your marriage is not centered in the Lord Jesus Christ, it may not succeed. But if it is, it cannot fail. I I feel pretty strongly about that, Scott. Uh, so I I hope our our listeners, as we go through the, the next few podcasts, actually probably three, four, or five of them, will. We'll kind of make that adjustment. Be mindful is if what we're doing or what we're counseling others to do or what we're teaching or even what we're thinking, you know, uh, goes back to Doctrine and Covenants, Section six, 6. Look unto me. Look unto me in every thought. And I think, is that even possible? But I, I know it must be or he wouldn't ask us to do it. Look unto me in every thought. Doubt not, fear not, behold the wounds 
which pierced my side, and the prints of the nails in my hands and feet. So, Scott, we have been invited, maybe I can even say commanded, that we look unto him and the atone, and his atoning sacrifice in every thought, the wounds in his side and the prints of the nails in his hands and feet. That's, that should be our focus. Yeah, there again, I feel like that's drawing us to the Garden of Gethsemane, the cross For and sure. the resurrection, right? So when he's saying, look unto me, where does he want us to look? I exactly. feel like that's where he wants us to see him. Absolutely. Yeah. It was uh, Elder Holland who who taught uh, years ago. It, it is the suffering Christ that we worship. Really, I mean, we don't... I love Jesus Christ for his teachings. I do. I think I think it's they're critical uh, for for me to progress and grow. But ultimately, Scott, um, my, my love for the Savior, it has to be centered in what he did for me as he carried out the atonement of Jesus Christ. And that begins with him living a sinless life. I think this is one of the most underappreciated events of the atonement of Jesus Christ is that in order for him to vicariously suffer for all of the sins of the world and by the way we're I think we're pretty unique on that belief that we that I know it's it says sin of the world in the Bible John teaches that but several times in the restoration scriptures it talks about Jesus Christ was crucified for the sins of the world, that he suffered, that he died for the sins, plural, of all the world. That's, that's several times in the, in the Book of Mormon Doctrine and Covenants, uh, Scott. And I think it's really critical that we, we understand that he, he didn't just do it for the good guys. He did it for everybody, all of the children of God. Jesus suffered for all the sins of all the world. Uh, President Nelson reiterated that uh, in the devotional this last this Christmas devotional last month. Anyway, I I think that one of the most underappreciated uh, sacrifices that Jesus made, and it wouldn't it would maybe I, I mean I, I'm not, I can't compare I can't even comprehend you know how difficult all of this, all of these events of the atonement would be. But, Scott, really, to live a sinless life, I I can't comprehend that. And, you know, he felt, again, all the effects of the fall. His mother was Mary. He was sorely, sorely tempted. He suffered. He suffered temptation. You and I were speaking earlier just a little bit about this as we outlined our podcast for today. And you're right. What did, what did you say about that? Temptation is like suffering, right? When I, when I face certain temptations, they're real to me, right? I'm a recovering alcoholic, for heaven's sake. And so, you know, that, that comes with it. Strong, strong desire, strong, strong urge, strong, not now, but it has. And, you know, and there's, and there's other ancillary components to this that are just as strong. But, what, David, when I'm tempted or when I have been tempted and still when I'm tempted, there's suffering attached to that because it's not easy. It's not easy for me. It's probably not easy for any of us when we really face temptation. It's, it's a difficult place for me to be in. Now, because I've learned to turn to him, turn and face him, turn away, you know, when, I, when, I'm, when I'm sinning. And, and sometimes when I'm tempted, it's maybe because I have turned a bit away. But when I turn back to him, that suffering seems to be alleviated, right? A lot. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know um, if this is a good place to point this out but you know paul talks about christ's ability uh, the necessity yeah, absolutely uh, of christ uh, to to have uh, hebrews lived a sinless life right hebrews chapter 4 in verse 15 it says for for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities 
In other words, we don't have somebody who's our high priest, right, that right. doesn't get us. You're right. He gets us is what Paul's who, saying who here. Doesn't, who, who doesn't, you know, we can't say, well, Jesus doesn't understand because he, he never sinned. Exactly. We he can't lived, say that. He lived a sinless life. How would he understand? Well, there's yeah. suffering in that temptation. And what kind of temptation did Jesus deal with? Not, um, not only the temptation <laughs> part of it, Scott, but right. even though he didn't sin, he felt... All the negative consequences of all the sins of all the world, including spiritual death when he was on the cross the last three hours. So he understands not only the temptation of sin, but just plain out sin, even though he was sinless. Right. I'll just start again. Verse 15 in chapter 4 of Hebrews. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points, all points, all points tempted as we are yet without sin. I think about that and I'm like, I, now I know how, how, how I've been tempted. You know, I have an idea of how maybe some other people have been tempted, but I don't really know because I haven't experienced what they experience. I only have experienced what I've experienced. You take all of the souls that have ever lived or will ever live, and Jesus felt all of that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Turn back a page, Scott, to uh, Hebrews 2, verse 18. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Read okay. that again. Read 2.18 Well, again. okay. He, so 2.18, Hebrews 2.18 for in that he himself hath suffered. Suffered. Just pause for a minute. Yeah. In that he suffered. Well, we got to finish that. Being tempted. Why Being did he suffer? Tempted. Because he was tempted. I, I just don't think we uh, can really understand or appreciate how difficult it was yeah. and how much he suffered in order to live a sinless life, which was all out about, uh, which was all driven by his love for his father and his love for each of us. He knew he couldn't sin, right? but he suffered through all the temptations, even more than any of us can suffer. Right. So, uh, yeah, there's a book of Mormon scriptures teach us as well, Scott. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, Alma King 7. Benjamin. Alma 7. Uh, Alma 7 teaches it, verse, verse 11. Verse 11, he shall go forth suffering pains and afflictions and temptations of every kind. And this that the word might be fulfilled, which saith, he will take upon him the pains and sicknesses of his people. Well, temptation can, I think, cause a lot of pains and sickness for sure. Yeah, I agree. Um, Among all of us. Uh, King Benjamin taught it in uh, Mosiah 3.7. Oh, that's right. Again, we're going to read some scripture on this to help us really appreciate the events of the atonement. So in Mosiah 3.7, Mosiah 3.7, King Benjamin said, He says, and, and lo, he shall suffer temptations and pain of body, hunger, thirst, and fatigue, even more than man can suffer except it be unto death. <laughs> That's pretty deep. I right? know. Uh, For behold, blood cometh from every pore, so great shall be his anguish. For the wickedness and abominations of his people. And we know that, of course, occurs in Gethsemane, which we'll talk about right. next. Yep. But but the first part of that was he suffered temptations of every kind. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, Abinadi taught it. Abinadi taught it in uh, 15.5. Mosiah 15.5, Scott. And and uh, Doctrine and Covenants twenty teaches it, uh, but but maybe we'll end well, up here. Yeah. So here's a Benedite, and thus the flesh becoming subject to the Spirit or the Son to the Father, being one God, suffereth temptation and yieldeth not to the temptation, but suffereth himself to be mocked and scourged and cast out and disowned by his people. What, what's the connection between mock, being mocked, cast out by his people, and temptation? What's the temptation in that? To separate himself. To be, right? Right. I mean, I mean, what's been your greatest temptation? You would maybe say it's it's alcoholism, but I actually believe maybe the greatest temptation is rejection, that I might be rejected by my family, by my friends, by my whatever, 
that I might be alone. I mean, some of the greatest temptations are, are couched in our, in our pride and in our fears of, of being um, rejected. Yeah. That's a tough temptation. And, and, and he didn't give heed to that. Yeah. Well, think about it. You know, uh, as humans, our, one of our deepest desires is connection. You know, yeah. we, we need to feel connected. Uh, and we and, and obviously and naturally, you know, and I know that though there are those that deal with uh, uh, extraordinary circumstances that make it d- difficult and sometimes even impossible for it. But for most of the human race, our deepest desi- deepest desire is to feel connection. And when when you talk about that, he will suffer temptation and yieldeth not to temptation, but suffereth himself to be mocked and scourged and cast out. There is not a greater antithesis of connection than mocked and scourged and cast out and disowned by his own people. And all of those things in and of themselves would cause great pain and suffering. Right. But all of that was also a temptation. He could have ended that at any moment, the temptation to end it. I know he was tempted, as Paul and all the prophets have taught, really, that he was tempted in every way, temptations of every kind. I, I know that. But I, I think we don't understand or appreciate to the extent of the temptation. And I, I've always loved this insight by C.S. Lewis. I, I just think this is really so inspired. It's so interesting to me how he came up. Uh, on this thought, but I I believe it's true. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity wrote, No man knows how bad he is till he has tried very hard to be good. A silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. Well, this is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it can be. After all, You find out the strength of the German army by fighting against it, not by giving in. You know, he's he's speaking as a a Brit here from going through World War II. Uh, You know, he makes reference to that. After all, you find out the strength of the German army by fighting against it, not by giving in. You find out the strength of a wind by trying to walk against it, not by lying down. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it have, would have been like an hour later. That is why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They have lived a sheltered life by always giving in. We never, fight, we never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside all of us until we try to fight it. And Christ, Jesus Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows to the full extent of what temptation means and how difficult it can be. He is the only complete realist. <laughs> I love that. I really love that that idea and thought that I mean, we know that he, you know, when he began his mission, Scott, in Matthew chapter 4, that he, he went in the wilderness, according to the Joseph Smith translation, to be with God, not to be tempted, but he went there to be with God. And yet, trying to be with God, sometime in that 40-day experience, Satan appears to him, and Satan directly, directly attempts him in three major ways, uh, with his physical appetite, fasting, uh, to give in to his his lust for power, his lust for pride. I, I just think there's none of us are probably going to experience to the extent that Jesus experienced temptation. Not, not only temptations that I think we may not experience, but the depth, the level, the, the uh, comprehensiveness of the temptations. And Scott, I, I temptation temptations of every kind. He felt temptations of of uh, anger, temptations of of lust, temptations of pride, temptations of jealousy, temptations of uh, I, anyway, and never 
Doctrine and Covenants section 20, and did not give heed. Now, I know he felt it. I know he felt all of it. And yet he never yielded or gave heed. So I gave in to it. I, I just hope that uh, we can maybe be more grateful, even in our prayers, for the sinless life of, of Jesus Christ and uh, understand the uh, critical nature of, this, of his sinless life and the uh, important part of this, of this part of the atonement. So no, the number one event in the atonement of Jesus Christ is his sacrifice and his suffering in living a sinless life. Doctrine and Covenants chapter 20, or section 20, verse 22. He suffered temptations, but he gave no heed unto them. Uh, I, I think there's a very short scripture, but I think the power in that scripture is just enormous. Uh, you know, you're, you're talking about how each of us deals with temptation and how each of us, how you feel it, how I feel it, how those around us feel it. But do you know what we will never know? I will never know how you feel temptation, Dave. Yeah. You'll never know how right. I feel temptation. True. I know how I feel temptation. My temptation is the only temptation that I have any kind of association to. Right. I mean, I can imagine because we're all human, and I, I, I think that there's some probably some commonality there. But Jesus understood it a hundred percent. All in, of it. In, in fact, Scott, I believe, I believe this that in order for him to really understand us, he had to understand all of the temptations that every individual in this world experiences in order to succor us he had to experience it that's what well hebrews 218 teaches right but not only experience it but experience it to its extreme to its extreme more than more than man can suffer it. correct that's kind of my point that's what i'm getting at you know is that it's easy for me to uh not easy, but sometimes we say, I understand what you're going through. And we try, you know, we try to empathize with each other. And we do have certain touchstones to certain touch points that allow us that empathy. But we have no real touch point, not like Jesus yeah. does, because he lived the sinless life. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm thankful that he was willing to make that, make that sacrifice and, and, uh, do that out of his love for me and his love and obedience to towards his father. But second uh, second event is, is Gethsemane, and uh, maybe we should uh, wait to get into that. Uh, the final last week of his life, uh, and talk about the last twenty four hours of his life, which uh, you know starts in the upper room uh, of. The, where they have the sacrament, and uh, he te he gives them some of his greatest teachings that have been well preserved and recorded by John. Then they sing a hymn, and after they sing a hymn, they go to Gethsemane. He takes the eleven apostles because Judas has gone to do his dirty deed of uh, of betraying Jesus with thirty pieces of silver, which was the price of a slave. Uh, in the Old Testament. And uh, so he takes the 11 to Gethsemane, and then he takes the three, Peter, James, and John, uh, in closer to him within a stone's cast, Luke records. And uh, he kneels down. And we don't have maybe the time to get into those events in this podcast, so we'll wait and and do that in some detail. Yeah. And the meaning of all of that in the next one. Which is fine. I think that we've uh, we've tackled enough today for us to really, if we spent the entire week this week contemplating the importance of Jesus Christ's sinless life, why was that important? And not only what, why was it important, but how does that qualify him to be my Savior? How does that qualify him to be my succor, uh, as is talked about in the Scripture as well? I think that we've got a lot to think about, a lot to contemplate, and I, and I pray and challenge us. Maybe this can be an invitation for each of us that as we partake of the sacrament this next time that we have the opportunity to do it, that we really go 
there with worshipful attitudes and gratitude for what he did go through. And, and, and I think it's so often that we don't contemplate or consider the sinless life, its impact, how difficult that would have been. Uh, and, I, and I challenge, invite us, rather, I invite us all to, uh, as we partake of the sacrament this week, to contemplate those things as we take his name upon us and always strive to remember him. Yeah, thank you. And I, I don't know if, if uh, maybe I said this, maybe I didn't, but I want to make the point why the sinless life was so critical. And the sinless life was uh, required of him because if he would have committed, again, one sin, one sin of omission, commission, one sin, then his suffering would have all been for himself. And it could have never been the vicarious sacrifice that he was foreordained uh, to carry out. So I'm so grateful that he could take upon himself my sins because he sacrificed to not sin. That's I hope that's uh, something that we can all thank our Heavenly Father for and express to our Heavenly Father that he might uh, thank Jesus uh, for his sinless life. So we hope you're having a happy new year. Um, maybe part of a new year resolution might be to uh, make the atonement of Jesus Christ more the center of our lives, to, to actually kind of experiment with what it means to look unto him and uh, the wounds and the prints in his hands and feet uh, continually. Look unto me in every thought. How do we kind of, ex I, I just invite all of us to maybe experiment with that in the coming weeks and throughout the new year. And as we experiment, I think that we should take notice of where our lives are being different, where the effect is taking place in our own lives. I, I'm, I'm grateful for that effect in my life. I'm grateful that uh, that effect, though it's not anywhere close to being finished, is on a continual basis of drawing closer to him. And I think that's an opportunity for all of us. Hey, thanks for being with us again this week. We look forward to being with you each and every week, next week included. Until then, have a great week, everybody.